we'll get an audio recording too. All right, so um, Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Let me go ahead and just read you this key verse, and then I'll open up my own Bible and go back a little bit in this passage. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Would anybody want to guess who that is that was looking for that city? Uh, this is not a trick question, but you don't have to, if you don't know. But does anybody know who this is that was looking for this city? Well, it was Abraham. Okay, So let's, let's go back to Hebrews 11, picking up at verse 1. Now faith, you'll remember this verse probably, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen or not yet seen. And then the writer of Hebrews goes off in this whole remembrance of faithful people from the past who have been looking ahead um, for something that is even more than the promised land. Now, I want you to be aware of this because we're going to get intersection in this passage with the actual literal promised land. And that turns out to be not the big prize at the end of the story. Okay? It's, not, it's not the geographical land of Israel. <laughs> And um, Larry, I'm not going to actually arrive at, I don't think tonight, I mean, sorry, I'm, 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 I've got that in my sights too, because I've been looking at Deuteronomy 29 and following. Uh, I want to come back to that, the, the reiteration of the covenant or the new covenant that uh, Moses clarifies at Moab before the uh, second generation goes into the promised land. But all this is saying, look, Israel, geographical Israel, is not the prize, is not the ultimate deal, okay? So just listen to that, and, and, and definitely the city of man is not the prize. Y'all have to understand this, because this is not just talking about Babylon like, you know, 3,000 years ago or 2,700 years ago. This is talking about current issues that we face now. Is our prize, is what we're banking our identity and our future on, what human beings can create and getting along with other human beings and making sure we fit in with the cool city, okay? The cool city, the big city, where all the art and culture and uh, power is and all the power politics happen, okay? Are we going to try to fit in there or do we belong to another city? So this is all this is circling around this issue, okay? So now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it... The people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Was the universe created by human ingenuity or glory? No. Um, that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now we get into this long excursus on uh, uh, that leads towards Abraham going through Genesis. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now notice that Abel was murdered. Cain lived a lot longer than Abel. We also, I'll come back to this, we remember from the study last week that Cain 
established the first city, the first city of man. Now, it would just seem on the face of it that Cain, you know, had a much greater heritage than Abel did. Because Abel got killed early, you know, Cain killed him. Cain went on and built a city, uh, made some pretty impressive, you know, monuments to people. But it turns out Abel is the one who still speaks, according to the Bible, okay? So Abel, even though he's dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he, in other words, God, exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So real faith believes that God exists and that he rewards and will reward the people who have sought him. Okay? Um, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, uh, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Now, notice the huge tension there. Noah did not bank on the world. In fact, Noah, in this language, condemned the world. Now, in a grand cosmic sense, who is the one who condemns anybody? It's God, right? But what this is saying is Noah was willing to put off the world, okay, condemned the world in order to go with God and build this ark and get on the ark, even when everybody else thought Noah was being crazy. Okay? All right, so that's, that's what that just said. Um, he, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Now, by the way, uh, what's this just told us, in addition to Abraham and some other people, Enoch, uh, who else uh, is eternally with God? Noah, right? I mean, his, his righteousness, um, God commended him for it. Um, a righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Okay, here's our key verse, verse 10, right? You've kind of set up for this. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Is that someplace in the present age on earth? No. Okay. Uh, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born seed, descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable, gra innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, look at this, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged 
that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So notice that they understood that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Now, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. So, in other words, did any of these people think that geography in the present age in which they were living was the big deal? No, you've just read what the Bible is saying is, no, no, no. They weren't, it wasn't a big issue with them to get back to the land that they had passed through, okay? But because they, they knew they were looking for something bigger and better. Um, if they had been, verse 15 again, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Everybody see that in verse 16? Okay. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a what? City. Okay, so we've just moved through this. Y'all, y'all see the development here, and this runs all through the Bible and definitely through the New Testament. We are supposed to be citizens of the city of God. That's our real allegiance. That's our flag that, you know, we fly. That, that's what we're looking for. Um, and so there's always this tension that runs all the way from uh, the early pages of Genesis, and definitely in this conflict that builds up early on with Babel and Babylon, okay? Um, so that's that, and let me just go ahead and carry this theme through a little bit further for you. So you'll see in that same chapter of Hebrews, verse, verses 39 and 40, and all these, after going through further people of faith from the Old Testament, and all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, they weren't going to be fulfilled because God wanted to bring us in too. So are we all going to belong to the same city, all of us who are of faith in the Lord? Yes, right? Not just Abraham, not just Moses. Not just Jews, but Gentiles also. Also, Conversely, are Hebrews or Jewish people who are truly of the faith, what's their ultimate goal? Is it to have their own partitioned area? No, it's to be in this heavenly city. So this is where the Bible is going with this. Okay? So um, Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, Where is that? The heavenly Jerusalem. Everybody see that? It's in your handout right there. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, um, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Because it is, after all, the blood of the Lord Jesus himself under the new covenant, right? Everybody with me on this? So this is a big, big theme in the New Testament. Let's keep going. 
Isaiah 51.11 Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, wonder where that's headed. And you could say, well, he's ransoming me, so I will not go to hell. Well, that's good. But where are you going to be? You're just going to be floating around in kind of uh, like, uh, I don't know, in a border detention cell because you didn't have to go to heaven, but you're just kind of waiting at the border, trying to get in. What do you think? Well, let's see. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sign shall flee away. Jesus says in Revelation 3, verse 12, okay, I'm just tracking on my handout right here. The one who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never again leave it. In other words, he's going to be in God's presence forever and ever. Pretty cool, huh? Upon him, I will write the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. What is the city of my God? Right? The new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. And you want all that to write on me, Jesus, please, please write all that stuff on me. That'd be awesome. Okay. Uh, So that's Revelation 3.12. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Again, Isaiah is the first one who has this vision of this, right? Isaiah 65 and 66. And we see it circling back around at the close of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the what? The holy city. New Jerusalem. Coming out of, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Okay? One more, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus, okay. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the Goyim, the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. That is the, um, that's in the new Jerusalem, okay? Um, Okay. And then um, I went ahead and did some other passages too. You already know Isaiah 65. I think I already talked about that being new heaven, new earth. But here's a couple more Isaiah passages. 48, 18 through 19. The Lord is addressing His people who have been unfaithful. Oh, that you have paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. 
your offspring, again, there's that seed I've already highlighted a couple times in these other passages, um, Zarekah, seed, would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. And then Isaiah 66, verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring, your seed, and your name remain. That's what it's going to be like for the people who are citizens of the city of God forever and ever. Amen, right? Seed continuing, name continuing, right? And seed and name are central to the promises that God's going to make to Abraham, okay? Now, um, so we're on, you know, we're talking about covenant and the way God has... God is a covenant-making God, and God wants us to and wants us to understand the Bible and the, the development of the gospel story in the context of covenants, okay? But you also have to track, and I'm, I'm just kind of struck by this tension that is going on with, of course, as Augustine famously marked out, the city of man versus the city of God. And it's, it's apparent in reading through the Bible, and it's also apparent because we live in 2021 when this conflict is to me, extremely apparent, okay? It's just really extremely apparent. So, everybody, anybody have any comments on that? Makes sense, right? Okay, all right. So, uh, let's go back to, so I want you to keep that in mind when we go back to Genesis. Uh, I'm going to end up back in Genesis 1, but first... Picking up on this tension again, I'm gonna. Um, I, I kind of started this last time, and I, I just want to continue with you on this um, to make sure we're all marking this off. So, uh, as I said, we've got good old Cain, the murderer, who murders his brother. So we get fratricide right away, and that is almost like a foretelling of what's going to happen to Israel, right? Because Israel is going to divide up and be conquered and not be faithful to each other or obviously to God. And that's part of what leads into what Isaiah is dealing with and prophesying about. Okay? Um, so anyway, Cain's like a foreshadowing of all that. Um, and, and we read this last week. Let me just go back to this. Four, uh, Genesis 4, 17. Cain knew his wife. Uh, by the way, this, this Hebrew verb, yada, you know, um, it's a big verb in Old Testament. And y'all know that one of the ways it's used, right? When, when it says somebody knows their wife, it doesn't mean like he got introduced to her and remembered her name, right? Y'all understand this means sex, right? Everybody understands that? Okay. So Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. And then what did he do? He built a city. And he called this city after the name of the Lord his God. Is that what it says? No. He called it after the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Now, this is not the good Enoch. One of the things we run into in Genesis early on, and you get this a lot of times in the Bible, is there's, different, there's the good Bubba and the bad Bubba, okay? 
<laughs> There's the good Bobby and the bad Bobby, okay? So you just get this right and left in the Bible. You know, it is what it is. You just got to deal with it. So anyway, there is a good Enoch, but this is not the good Enoch. Uh, when he built a city, called the name of the city after his son, Enoch. Um, okay, let's skip over to verse 23. I highlighted this guy last time. Now, remember, you got to remember this because, you know, Cain was so freaked out when the Lord brought judgment on him because he had, you know, Cain made all these excuses. Am I my brother's keeper? I have no idea where my brother is. And, of course, the Lord knows that he's murdered his brother, right? And he says, his blood has cried out to me. And then, and then, he, and then so the Lord brings punishment upon Cain, and Cain starts crying. Do you guys remember this? I mean, the tough guy who murdered his brother is scared to death. And, like, this is too much for me to take. Um, and the Lord says, no, I'm going to put a sign on you. And if anybody messes with you, um, I'm going to exact vengeance seven times. So I, I'm, I'm going to protect you. God is gracious to Cain, even to Cain, right? So you just got to remember that because it's the Lord who has promised sevenfold vengeance for anybody who messes with Cain. Which, by the way, would, would you be that concerned about Cain if you were God? But then again, would you be that concerned about me or you if you were God? You know, so I guess it's got to... <laughs> anyway, but, but you got to remember this. So we pick up this Lamech story. Verse 23 of Genesis 4. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold. Now, is Cain the one going around taking revenge? No, it's the Lord. Okay, But, but now he's, he's transformed this into this... Um, 77-fold thing. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And you remember, I talked about the extreme reversal of this, the other side of this coin last week, the fact that um, Jesus says, to, when Peter says, how many, golly, how many times do we have to, let me impress you, Jesus, seven times do we forgive people? And, and Jesus says 70 times seven, or you could say 77 times, uh, you know, one, one way to translate what Jesus is saying. But in other words, Jesus is saying, you know, you understand seven means full, right? And Jesus is saying full, full. You, you got to just like keep doing it, okay? But Lamech is saying, I'm going to take vengeance out on people, 77 fold. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be in the city of God, the way citizens of the city of God act, we forgive. We don't take revenge, you know, 70 times 7 or 77 times, however you want to do that, translate that, uh, we, for, we keep forgiving. So that's a different kind of citizen, right? Uh, would you rather be dealing with a citizen of the city of man or the city of God? Obviously the city of God, right? Who do you think glorifies God? People who go around taking out their vengeance 77 times? No, right? All right. So that's, uh, that's another one of those city of man things. Okay, now, let's, uh, we're going to skip over, I'm going to skip over five, uh, the genealogy there. I think I may have talked about it briefly. Uh, we want to keep going. Uh, this is just a highlight verse. Um, actually, it should be Genesis 6-5 is my highlight verse. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. 
The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Now, when the Lord sees, the Lord looks and sees a lot in the Bible, okay? And he looks and sees a lot in Genesis. You read, if you go back and parallel this now, in Genesis 1, he looks and he sees what he has created is really good, right? And so he blesses it. What does he see when he sees after the fall the way humanity has developed and the city of man has developed? He looks and does he see good? No. He sees not only, not only that it's bad, but um, wickedness and uh, the intention of the thoughts of man's heart is evil, only evil continually. So God sees the heart, right? You know this from the Bible, right? That's what God teaches, um, you know, and reminds Samuel, the prophet. So anyway, God's looking at people's hearts, and it's really bad. And by the way, he regrets that he created people. Uh, he doesn't, it, like, when he regrets that Saul, that he had made Saul king over Israel, uh, for instance, in 1 Samuel, it's not like he says, well, I, I guess I made a big mistake. That's not what he's saying. It's just he grieves over it, right? Okay, so that's, that's what that's saying. But the, the big thing I wanted to see is the extreme contrast between Genesis 1. It's really good, and he's blessing. And here it's like, I'm going to have to get rid of this. Okay? But, of course, what happens is he sees, um, he is aware of eight uh, righteous people on earth. Of all the people on earth, there's eight of them that are righteous. And he decides to preserve them, okay? And, uh, you know, you know the, the lead one of them is named Noah. And remember, like we said last week, his name is actually Noach, which means rest, okay? Rest. His name means rest. So, um, and his father foretold that he was going to bring relief, from all, from all the messed up chaos on earth. So we have um, this deliverance through Noah. Um, but of course, as, as you can already anticipate, um, is Noah the seed of the woman that we had really hoped for that's going to just fix everything? No. Because we're going to get, we get a, you know, you get like a redditivus of the whole fall thing over again, okay? So, by the way, um, when the flood recedes, you get the sequencing just like Genesis 1, right? The, the land separates from the water. I mean, it, it goes through the same stuff that you're dealing with in Genesis 1. You get birds in the air. You know, you get foliage, stuff growing. You get birds in the air. You get the animals coming off the ark, right, and then the people, and then it's like Noah, rest, is um, in his own garden, he plants a vineyard, and everything's looking pretty good. Maybe we have a second Adam who's going to be like the real second Adam, right, because we've got this whole setup, right? I mean, it's, it's going through, like a, a, a return to Genesis 1 and the creation thing, and Noah gets drunk and everything goes downhill from there really fast, right? Okay, with the sons, and it's just not good. 
Okay, so um, any questions on Noah? Was anybody bank? So by how many people do you think were destroyed in the flood? Is there any way of knowing about what it is? That's a good question. You, you, we don't know, Larry. I mean, we know there's a lot of people. That's a good question. Let me poke at that a little bit. I think nobody's going to give us a, a solid answer on that. And exactly how this shakes out, it's just, to me, some of the flood stuff is, I don't know. All I know is it's part of God's word, you know, honestly. I'm not, I'm not a flood guru. <laughs> <laughs> so is anybody here a flood guru um all right so um but by the way you know he ends up on a mountain same, same kind of like by, eden is a mountain okay eden is a mountain ezekiel is going to end up clarifying that for us but you know the water the remember the rivers are flowing down right from eden and zion the ultimate zion towards which we're going the city is like a mountain above all creation, right? Because the God of Zion is overall. That's, by the way, why you get in this Old Testament. Every, you know, they're talking periodically about Jerusalem, or increasingly, it's Zion being referred to um, as being the highest of the mountains. And you know, like people who are critics or atheists or whatever could look at that and say, "How stupid are the people who wrote the Bible?" Look, the people writing the Bible are not talking about measuring a mountain, okay? What they're talking about is spiritual preeminence. Um, I, heard, I, I only caught a bit of it, but I heard today on the radio that they found some fossils out of things all mixed together mm -hmm. that shouldn't be together, like animals and plants and stuff. And they, from the flood period? I think it's from the flood, yeah. Yeah, so many of the ancient cultures, you know, including in Babylon, by the way, um, including the Chaldeans, had flood narratives. I mean, some kind of flood, serious flood, happened. So, um, okay, so let's, let's keep going, though, and go to... 10. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I guess I should give you th this just so you know what's going on with this. This, this features earlier in the story of the Old Testament. Back in 9, um, just to remind you that... Um, Noah has three sons, right? Okay. Shem, Ham, Japheth. Um, and Ham is the bad one, which is why, of course, the Jews are commanded not to eat pork. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Some of you guys... <laughs> Uh, so, um, because Ham looks at the nakedness of his drunken father, Noah, 
And we don't know exactly what all that means, but we do know he shames his father. And that's just, you're not supposed to do that, okay? And the other brothers, you know, cover up Noah. So y'all kind of remember this story, right? Okay. So, um, but the thing I want to highlight for you is Ham is the father of Canaan. And God is going to tell his chosen people to take the land of Ham's son, Canaan. And the Canaanites and the Israelites are enemies. Okay? But remember, in the New Testament, right? At least one Canaanite specifically is saved directly by Jesus, right? So um, the Syrophoenician woman is a Canaanite. And remember, I've already highlighted this for you, uh, Tamar and Rahab, who are essential to the bloodline of Jesus, whose blood runs through Jesus, are Canaanite women. So, just because you're from the wrong family or wrong nationality, are you automatically out? And the answer is no. But on the other hand, God does deal with some of this history. So it's just, it's all in there. Okay. Um, so, um, but let's go to these nations thing. And I'm just going to highlight a few things on these nations descended from Noah. The way Genesis works is you'll get like a genealogy, or in this case, the table of nations in chapter 10, and then you go back into a specific story. So it's not always chronological. Okay, does everybody understand what I just said? Genesis moves back and forth. It's not strictly chronological. In Isaiah, it's definitely not always chronological. You're moving, you know, you're moving around, okay? So you get what's called the table of nations. That's Genesis chapter 10. And uh, Larry, as you can see by this point, you're starting to get a lot of people. And let me make clear, this is not intended necessarily to be an exhaustive list of all nations. This, these are highlighted nations, okay? Um, and you basically get, well, sorry, I can't really show this to you. This would be great to hand out. But, like, um, you know these maps that I have handed out to you all? Okay, you see all these nations that are popping up all around the Fertile Crescent, okay? And in this case, in some cases, um, in, in the Levant area, okay? So um, let, me, uh, let me just highlight a few, few of these things. These are the generations of sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, sons born to them after the flood. Um, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Anybody know much about the Old Testament? Okay, you know, you're going to recognize some of these names and, and so on. But I don't even want to highlight those because, um, but, but these are the people who spread along the coastland. In other words, this, these are Mediterranean people, okay? Uh, but let's go ahead and go on to, because I'm not doing like a big study of all of this, but um, chapter uh, 10, verse 6. The sons of Ham. Guess what? 
Not just Canaan. Ooh, man, a lot of people you're going to be familiar with, okay? Um, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Okay? Now, now notice, Ham is the father of Egypt. Y'all see this, right? And Cush, right? Down below Egypt. Put and Canaan. Now, well, let's keep talking. The sons of Cush, Shiva, remember? The queen of Shiva, right? Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, Sabteka, and the sons of Ramah, Shiva, and Dedan, Cush fathered Nimrod. You need to remember him. Okay, let's focus on Nimrod. This is why I have this in here, because this is highlighting this, the city of man. Nimrod is your guy. Nimrod is the ultimate, you know, successful human being in primeval history, in early history. Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That doesn't mean he's like, you know, honoring the Lord, but he's a, he's a mighty hunter. This guy is the dude. And by the way, in, is it Bugs Bunny that jokes with, who, who calls who, who Nimrod in the old comics? Somebody calls somebody Nimrod as a, as a, a joke. Elber Fudd? I, I, I can't remember. Somebody calls somebody Nimrod. Okay, so this is where this is coming from. Okay? Uh, people used to be biblically literate, so they understood this kind of joke. Okay? So, because uh, Nimrod is the first great hunter, mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. In other words, that was like a saying, a proverbial saying, that this guy is so good that he. He hunts, and the Lord pays attention to him. He's that big of a hunter. Um, the beginning of his kingdom was hmm? Babel. Erech, Akkad, Kalna, in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, and Rezin, between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Now, Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtulim, Pathrashim, Kalashuhim, from whom the Philistines came. And capturing. But as you can see, Nimrod is somebody you probably want to pay attention to. Okay, and so it keeps going, by the way. We get all these other people that you're familiar with, the Jebusites, the Amorites, all these people coming out of this. So this is the table of nations. Uh, now, let's go to Babel, chapter 11. <coughs> Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. It was great. I mean, this was great. One world order, 
one language, one religion, or series of religions. This is what we want as human beings. This is awesome. Like, here's unity, right? <laughs> okay, so that's, that's, that's Genesis 11.1. If we could just pick, get back to the good old days of Genesis 11.1. And as people migrated from the east, they found the plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Bitumen, right? Is it bitumen or bitumen? Bitumen? Yeah. English or American? Okay. Um, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And, the, and, and this is Hebrew humor here. You have to understand this. So they think they're building a tower up to heaven. Does the Lord see it up in heaven? Does it reach heaven? Do our skyscrapers reach heaven? Do our spaceships Reach it's our space stations out, you know, on Mars. Have we at that point basically accessed the face of God? What do you think? Is God sitting there saying, Well, they're right next door, honey. We need to move because I mean, they're like crowding my backyard. Is that what God is saying? Huh? No, right? Okay, so here's the humor. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower uh, which the children of man had built. In other words, he's got to come all the way down. This it? This, this is the best y'all can do. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I had to really make a trip down here <laughs> to see y'all's humongous, tremendous, you know, edifice. Y'all see what that's saying, right? Okay, so, so <laughs> the Lord comes down. And the Lord said, uh, Behold, they are one people. And... They have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they can propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there all over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the Balal, because there the Lord uh, confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So, um, the Lord did not take kindly to this proposition of the great city of man here. And Babel is going to circle all through the Bible, okay? Um, all the way through. Um, Daniel 3. Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar uh, sent to gather the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province, provinces to come to the dedication of the image that the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Um, then the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the pro You get the idea. I mean, this is like, I mean, this is all the bigwigs are there. On and on and on. Gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages, everybody, we're all together on this. This is one world, this is awesome. We're all together. You want unity? International unity, this is it. All bowing down before the image of Babel and King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you'll remember that um, there's some people who don't worship the image, and you got the whole fiery furnace thing going on in, in Daniel. So y'all remember that, right? So that's, that's one, one thing. And then over to Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah 47. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me, but evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone, and ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and in your many sorceries, which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You're weary with your many counsels. Um, let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, in other words, the astrologers, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Um, and then it goes on, behold, you're like stubble. You're going down, Babylon. You are going down. Um, Revelation 17 and 18. Um, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Everybody's drunk on Babylon, right? And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. I saw a woman 
sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple, scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels, pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name Mystery, Babylon the Great, Mother of Prostitutes and of the Earth's Abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast of the seven heads and um, of the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit to go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. It goes on anyway. Babylon is going down. For, uh, chapter 18. Um, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out in a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passions of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And everybody who's in that city goes down. Okay? So that's Babylon. Now, any questions on that? Okay, so you got this whole city conflict thing going on. Let me go ahead and highlight a couple things for you. This is kind of cool. So you remember when they're building bricks? They're building the Tower of Babel with the bricks and the mortar. Okay? Um, in Exodus 1, when Pharaoh comes down on the Hebrews, he's making them build as slaves with, guess what? Bricks and mortar. And by the way, Pharaoh's going to go down. And remember that the, the signet, uh, this, the, uh, the icon on um, Pharaoh's crown is a serpent, right? And we've already introduced, I introduced this last time, pretty big time, the conflict between the seed of the woman and the serpent and the seed of the serpent, right? And the sign of the Pharaoh's power was this serpent head thing. You think that's by accident? Yeah. Okay. Now, let me point out a couple other things. So, when Moses gets saved in the um, little ark that they put him in, I just want to point out to you this. Tabat, Tabat. Tabat is the ark, Right? that Noah is supposed to build. And when Moses is saved in the Nile, he's put in a tabath. Now, obviously, totally different sized things, but that's not by accident. And, and how, did they, how did they make sure that um, the tabath that Moses is put in, you know, that they float in the reeds, it's made out of reeds and what? Pitch, right? Which is saying as the mortar thing, okay? 
And uh, this is another one. So the women, okay, so I'm giving the women another kudos on this. So um, you get this recurring thing. I highlighted this, like that the, the woman is deceived, but then she, the women, certain women who are women of faith keep coming back and, uh, you know, they're faithful, right? And, and not just Mary, okay, at the end of the, or the great, like, apex of this story, but you also get um, the, um, the women, Zilpah, right? Let's, let's go to that, uh, Exodus. Let me just do this briefly. Um, uh, Exodus 1, 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra, and one of the other was named Pua. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. Now notice, are they obeying the king? No. They feared God. In other words, they feared God instead of fearing the Pharaoh. So you have to decide whom you're going to fear. Okay? You're going to fear somebody. This is what the Old Testament keeps telling us. Fear thing in the Old Testament is, and I know I've got some people who listen in are like, I'm really confused by this fear thing. It's not, it's not craven fear. It's like the reality is you are going to observe and be bossed by some force ultimately. And the question is, you know, is that going to be God or is it going to be some, something else that's lower than God? And so these um, Pua, uh, Pua and Shifra, they, they, they don't fear the Pharaoh. I mean, they may fear the Pharaoh, but they fear God more, right? So they're not going to kill these baby boys. Um, um, they fear God, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew strong. I'll circle back to this next time, but this is then picking up on some of this um, early Genesis and covenant language we're talking about. This um, fruitful and multiply thing, this is going on with the Hebrews when they are in slavery. So that's just a, a kind of a, a tip ahead, though, but this, this brick-and-mortar stuff and this ark, it all gets into, it keeps circling around, including in the Moses story. Y'all see this at the bottom of page one here? Um, so again, uh, same words, right? Same, the same stuff that Babel is using to build the Tower of Babel, Pharaoh's making the Hebrew slaves build with, the brick, right, and the mortar. Uh, the ark that Noah is saved through, there's a little ark, through which Moses is saved through. Moses is the seed of a woman. He's a type of Christ, right? Who's going to deliver God's people out of death and slavery in Egypt. And um, not, not only is his mom in on this story, these two midwives are in on this story. So the serpent is really actually going to go down. You just got to have faith and believe that God can work this stuff out. Good? Okay, well, we didn't even make it to page two. Sorry about that. But we will come back to 
a little bit more Genesis and move on to Abraham next time. Abraham and the covenant that God's going to make with Abraham. Uh, let me just give you a preview real fast since y'all have stayed. Um, we really want to get focused in on Genesis 12 and the two commands and the three blessings that flow off the two commands. I've got it charted out for you. You can go ahead and kind of read ahead if you want to, and I'll talk about this next time. Okay. Um, go from your country, and there's three blessings. And the second thing I want you to point out, it's not clear in the ESV. There's a second command. You shall be a blessing. I went ahead and pulled it from the New American Standard because that is a command. That's an imperative. You shall be a blessing. And therefore, then, there's three blessings that go with that. Okay, so I'll come back to this next time. Good? All right. Thank you all. Any closing prayer requests? Where is he? He's in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Okay, so let's pray for Dow. Yeah. And continue to play with Randy? Pray for Randy because Randy hasn't been able to uh, get an appointment yet, and he's having a little issue just when he eats. Yeah. But he's feeling fine except for when he eats. <laughs> Whom does he need to see? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Okay, any other special prayer requests? Okay, let's pray. Lord, we come before you tonight. We give thanks for the opportunity to study your word and help us to be faithful and to long for and orient our lives towards your city, not the city of this world, but Lord, your city, and to be faithful to you in our decisions and our commitments. And Lord, we want to glorify you. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel that you give us through Jesus, your son, our Lord. And we pray, Lord, for your healing hand for Dal. And, Lord, strengthen him and give him, Lord, peace um, at this time. We pray also for Randy and your help for Randy and, Lord, to open the doors there for his help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.